0: The following program was made possible in part by a grant from Organic Valley Family of Farms, organic and farmer-owned since 1988. Learn more at organicvalley.com.
1: Welcome to the Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. This is no longer simply about
0: resources or infractions or injustice. This is fundamentally a civil rights movement, a human rights movement. This is a democracy movement. It is the coming world. This movement is humanity's immune response to resist and heal political disease, economic infection, and ecological corruption caused by ideologies. It's all alive. It's all connected. It's all intelligent. It's all relatives.
1: Scientists tell us that concern with the environment will no longer be just one of many issues in this new century. It will move to center stage. It will become the context of everything, of our lives, our businesses, our politics. We are, in fact, moving from the information age to the age of biology. In this series, The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature, we salute the pioneers, the biological pioneers who are working with nature to heal nature, honoring both traditional native wisdom and modern scientific knowledge, restoring the earth by changing the world. In 1996, long before September 11th, Harvard political scientist and former foreign policy aide Samuel P. Huntington wrote his now-famous book, The Clash of Civilizations and the Remaking of World Order. He foretold a threat of global violence coming not from nation-states, but from the cultures of eight or so major civilizations around the world. He predicted violence and conflict among religions such as Islam and the secular West. He advocated against a multicultural society. Indeed there is today a clash of civilizations but it may not be the obvious clash that you're thinking about. The ultimate clash we face is between a disposable civilization and a sustainable civilization. From the environment's point of view we've created a global civilization that is itself a suicide bomb. We need to start disarming it right away. According to Paul Hawken that disarmament is already underway Across the globe, he sees a movement of people diffusing social and ecological time bombs with real solutions. He's been uncovering nothing less than the rise of a vibrant, decentralized, sustainable civilization. Join us for the next half hour as we explore the clash of civilizations, liberation, ecology, and the new superpower with Paul Hawken. My name is Neil Harvey. I'll be your host. Welcome to the Bioneers, revolution from the heart Paul Hawken is the author of numerous landmark books such as Blessed Unrest, The Ecology of Commerce, and Natural Capitalism, The Next Industrial Revolution. As a social entrepreneur, he's also started and participated in several environmentally focused companies. Paul Hawken knows that the only constant in nature is change. He sees a movement that asks if the world of tomorrow will be different from the world of today, why not create the world we want? Why not choose a voluntary history? But to do so, he says, we would be wise to begin by knowing our country's history, starting with the origins of the environmental movement. Paul Hawkins spoke at a recent Bioneers conference. It is my belief that we are part of a movement that is greater and deeper
0: and broader than we ourselves know or can know. In this country, it has many roots, and for me... Of course, being Californian and, and, and going back many generations, but it actually goes back to Emerson and his 1836 essay on nature, which is a really seminal event. He self-published it. it was 500 copies. He took six years to sell the first 500. Two years later, he gave a commencement speech, or a speech, I think it was, at Harvard, which is enormously controversial based on this, uh, his first book. And uh, there's a quote here, Who looks upon a river in a meditative state and is not reminded of the flux in all things? The currents of the universal being circulate through me. I am part or am particle of God. And, and when he said that and something similar to that at Harvard, what he was saying is that the individual is better and better touch with the spirit of God through the mediation of nature than he or she is through the church. And believe me, it caused a scandal. <laughs> nature, as he said, never became a toy to a wise spirit, right? But in eighteen forty seven a Vermonter, George Perkins Marsh, who was often given the credit of being sort of the progenitor of the environmental movement in this country, uh, gave a very important lecture on deforestation. and became the basis of his book Man and Nature, which was the first book to talk about this relationship and dynamic between society and the environment and how they interact and relate to each other. There's something prescient about it, but there's something missing about it because there was still a kind of a man over, and I use the word very gender specifically here in his book, of man over nature. Very different than Emerson, which is human beings within nature. But both of them were preceded by an African American, uh, John James Audubon. He came from Haiti. He came here to dodge the Napoleonic draft (laughs) is why he came. And he became basically the National Geographic Channel of his day. (laughs) When his book on the Avafon of North America was published, it was sensational uh, on the East Coast. Uh, People had never seen uh, what it was he painted. He was courageous. He was fearless. He went with one other person into areas all across his country uh, and did his work. Uh, But then in 1851, Thoreau delivered his famous lecture at the Concord Lyceum in which he said in wilderness is the preservation of the world. And at that same time, here in California, a kind of carnival barker type of guy named George Gale had heard stories from miners and did something that rocked the East Coast and helped the environmental movement tremendously. He heard that in the Calaveras Grove, in Yosemite, there was this tree that was so magnificent, it was called the Mother of the Forest. And he decided, and for why we don't know, to cut it down. To cut it down, to take sections, and to take the bark ring, which was 92 feet in diameter, this tree was 300 feet high, and to take it on a train to the East Coast as part of his show to... You know, charge admission for. So he and many, many men went there and began to cut the tree down. They used cross-cut saws. They used everything they could. They sawed right through the tree. The tree was so heavy, so symmetrical, so perfect. It stood right there. It didn't move. They cut another tree down and used a battering ram to knock the tree down. The tree stood there. The mother of the forest wouldn't move. They used... They used wedges and pounded wedges into it. The tree would not move. And 25 days later, a real gale blew. A wind came up, and that tree blew down in the middle of the night, and miners 15 miles away in camps were awoken by the noise of the mother of the forest falling. Horace Greeley wrote then in the New York Herald Tribune that this was villainous, villainous speculation and vandalism. In Boston, a magazine writer wrote, to our mind, this was a perfect desecration. What in the world could have possessed a mortal to embark on such a speculation with this mountain of wood? And next to the mother of the forest was a tree that had died before they got there, naturally. It was called the father of the forest. This tree was 450 feet tall. This is in what is now Yosemite.
1: A Clash of Civilizations, Wilderness as the Preservation of the World, or a Commercial Desecration of the Mother of the Forest. Around that same time, Thoreau gave a lecture on forest succession that conformed to the theory of evolution. It was accurate but controversial science. Again, Paul Hawken. It was a landmark lecture, and it defied the
0: tenets of science at that time. And he was attacked by the same Horace Greeley who wrote about the villainous speculation of the mother of the forest, as well as Louis Agassiz, the zoologist from Harvard University, because they believed in spontaneous creation. They were creationists. And here what you had is the roots of a split that's here with us today, which is theology trumping science. And in the EPA today are people managing our environment who believe the earth is no less or no more than 10,000 years old and that evolution is a liberal idea. So you can see when we go back into our history and to the roots of of where this movement started, there is some some splits and schisms uh, that are with us now. And then in this century, the history is so elaborate and interesting, I can't go into it. But in this century, William O. Douglas, Wallace Stegner, Rachel Carson, Ed Abbey, Garrett Hardin, Gaylord Nelson, Dana Meadows, Jacques Cousteau, Eugene Odoms, Paul Ehrlich, René Dubois, uh, E.F. Schumacher, Jim Lovelock, and the Gaia Hypothesis, and of course our favorite and beloved David Brower. Now what's wrong with this list besides its incompleteness? Well, these are such extraordinarily Extraordinary honorable and honored people. But notice not one of them is a Native American. So the indigenous cultures did not have to integrate science, the environment, and spirit, (laughs) as did Emerson, Thoreau, and Marsh and all who followed them, because they were never disintegrated. That lack of separation in their thinking, in their language, is almost impossible for us who are non-indigenously educated to grasp or to fully understand. And parallel to this movement, at the same time, Names just as interesting and stories just as fascinating as the environmental movement is this amazing social justice movement that arose in the world. And at the same time, I only know pretty much the American-European history, but these histories arose in Africa, in India, in China, in Japan. There is an environmental history in all of these countries. We did not start it. Right. Both movements have come to understand that there is no justice without caring for the earth. And there's no way to save this earth, of course, without caring for its people. Both have come to appreciate the wisdom of first peoples for whom social justice, humility, and deep care and awareness of one's habitat are the same thing.
1: Many old splits and schisms remain with us today. A schism in our very way of seeing the world, the illusion that people are separate from nature, that science, environment, and spirit are not connected to each other, that the environment and social justice are separate. Meanwhile, the ancient indigenous wisdom of first peoples, the knowing of the unity of all things, nearly erased, forgotten, invisible, returns as the very hub of this vast, unnamed movement. Paul Hawkins says this unique movement is different from anything we've ever seen before. It's a new superpower.
0: There is another superpower here on Earth that is an unnamed movement. It is far different and bigger and more unique than anything we have ever seen. It flies under the radar of the media by and large. It is nonviolent. It is grassroots. It has no cluster bombs, no armies, and no helicopters. It has no central ideology. A male vertebrate is not in charge. This unnamed movement, you can clap for that, the unnamed movement (laughs) is the most diverse movement the world has ever seen. The very word movement, I think, is too small to describe it. No one started its worldview. No one is in charge of it. There is no orthodoxy. It is global, classless, unquenchable, and tireless. The shared understanding is arising spontaneously from different economic sectors, cultures, regions, and cohorts. It is growing and spreading worldwide, with no exception. I believe it is the world's largest movement. It has many roots, but primarily the origins are indigenous culture, the environment, and social justice movements. Those three sectors and their subsectors are intertwining. Morphing, enlarging. This is no longer or simply about resources or infractions or injustice. This is fundamentally a civil rights movement, a human rights movement. This is a democracy movement. It is the coming world. This movement is humanity's immune response to resist and heal political disease, economic infection, and ecological corruption caused by ideologies.
1: an unnamed movement that is humanity's immune response to planetary self-destruction. What is this mysterious movement? Who is this new superpower? More from Paul Hawken when we return. This is The Clash of Civilizations, Liberation, Ecology, and the New Superpower. I'm Neil Harvey. You're listening to The Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. Additional audio materials related to this program can be found at pioneers.org. This unnamed movement that is emerging as the world's new superpower, says Paul Hawken, is composed of citizen-based organizations. They're non-governmental organizations. They're volunteer associations that address social and economic justice. They're people from all over the world, from every class, race, and religion. They are men and women. They are the multicultural face of the future. They stand against and in contrast to the nameless, faceless, top-down corporatization of the world. They stand for democracy and justice. This movement is marked by kinship, by community, by symbiosis. Paul Hawken uses a computer software tool, a sort of super search engine, to actually map this global web and the world wide web. How big is this movement? To begin to grasp its magnitude, Hawken runs a computer scroll of all the groups he has found worldwide. There are over 130,000. The scroll moves so quickly that you can hardly read the names. Running the scroll nonstop, 24 hours a day, it would take over five days to complete. And new research results are telling Hawken that there are actually somewhere between one and two million citizen-based groups and non-governmental organizations. At the Bioneers Conference, Paul Hawkins scrolled through the seemingly endless list as he spoke about this new superpower.
0: It's so new. We can't recognize it. We're familiar with armies and governments and war and churches and religions. But this is, there's no precedent for what we're doing. What you are creating is completely unknown. It is everywhere. There is no center. There's no one spokesperson. in every country and city on earth. It is within every tribe, every race, every culture, and every ethnic group in the world. This is the first time on earth that a powerful non-ideological movement has arisen. During the span of the 20th century, big ideologies were worshipped like religion. They dominated our beliefs. This is to speed it up so you don't have to stay here until Monday night. (laughs) Ideologies dominate us, capitalism, socialism, communism. Right? In the words of Ed Hunt, Ideologies stalked the earth clad in armor. Right? They fought for the control of our minds and the lands and it wasn't pretty. And we were told that salvation would be found in the domination of a single system. This is where salvation will be found. We know that as biologists, we know that as community organizers, we know that as ecologists. It's found in diversity, not in domination. This movement does not seek power, it's misunderstood that way. It seeks to dismantle power. Very, very different. It doesn't mean that it's politically inactive. It means this, though, that its overriding agenda is to create a world where the kind of political power we're seeing is criminal, illegal, and unnecessary.
1: He says that this movement is visible only in its parts, occasionally. Yet what makes it a movement is its underlying vision, values, and heart. Because if you ask every one of these groups in the world to write down
0: what informs them, what is it that creates you know, the passion to do the work that they're doing, and six, seven, eight, or nine things, and write it down on a piece of paper, and if you had a room or hall big enough, and you put it on the wall, and you walked down and you read every one of them, they do not contradict themselves. This is coming up. This is grassroots, this is the real deal. This has never happened in the history on earth, ever. It's singular, right? As David Orr has said, it will prevail because we have better technologies. We have Amory Lovins and Paul Stamets and Jay Harman and Janine Benyus and wind and fuel cells and permaculture and ecological medicine and much more. This stuff works, their stuff doesn't work. Corporations are trying to co-opt this movement. They're giving money to charismatic environmental groups to co-mingle their names. You know, microenterprise and business are important, but business cannot define, own, or fund this movement. It is the working poor, the hungry, the children, the women of the majority world, the communities of color, the campesinos, the students, the monks, the nuns, the farmers, the landless, and their refugees that will define this movement. Right.
1: There is great hope in the true biotechnologies of these pioneers, drawn from nature's own operating instructions. There's also great hope in the nobility of the human spirit arising everywhere in waves of caring and kindness. People gathering to solve problems together, weaving true social security and community, building localized democracy on the ground. But the problems we face are also unprecedented. Global warming alone, says Paul Hawken, threatens to make all six billion of us homeless in the decades ahead. But for the first time in history, he notes, a civilization is trying to arrest this slide into extinction and usher in an age of restoration. It marks a watershed in human existence.
0: If we just look at the data, the future does look bleak. There's no question about it. And if it doesn't look bleak, you're not looking at the data. But we have to ask ourselves, are we so fragile and powerless? This movement is our blessing. It is our refuge. It is the biggest tent humanity has ever created. Some of these groups have 20 million members. Some of them have 4 to 6 million members. This is the real deal out there. It knows and recognizes itself everywhere in the world. This movement grows because it knows who oppresses them. Farmers know who cheats them. Downwinders know who pollutes them. Fisher people know who depletes them. The localized poor know why their children are hungry. Every soldier knows at the end of their life that the government used them. This unnamed movement that we are part of is profoundly democratic. Democracy does never never happens in boardrooms. Democracy is juicy. It's sweaty. It's just like sex and good food, right? It moves. We are moving towards a voluntary history. This is biology, theology. This is liberation, ecology, and above all, the cessation of injustice. The systems of power are getting a sex change operation. This long, long 500-year-old dishonor of people of color everywhere has to be addressed. We must reflect upon it, and it must be made whole, or there is no future. This movement is about... It is about possibilities and solutions. Humankind knows what to do. Humans know what to do. We need to listen and ask them. That takes humility. Humans, humus, humility all have the same root in the English language. And just as nature can heal and restore, social restoration is a natural act. What we do is remove the obstacles to healing one by one by one. We are practicing empire disobedience. As T.S. Eliot put it, in his last stanza of the Four Quartets, he said, we seek a condition of complete simplicity costing not less than everything. This movement presents truths that are common sense, but they can be wildly unpopular today. It is not easy to oppose and to create at the same time, but it can be done You are unbelievable. You are so magnificent. Thank you so much.
1: Paul Hoffman, author of Blessed Unrest, a book about this new superpower. It's not easy to oppose and create at the same time. Yet a new superpower, The biggest movement in the history of the world is doing exactly that. It also may be the fastest growing movement in the history of the world. It doesn't need to defeat anything. All it needs to do is keep growing. It can be done because it is you. The clash of civilizations, liberation ecology, and the new superpower. find out more about the work of Paul Hawken and explore more resources related to this show, to order a CD of this program, and to connect to the Bioneers and its annual conference, visit Bioneers.org or call 877-246-6337. To access other Bioneers CDs as well as DVDs of environmental and social visionaries or the Bioneers book series published by Sierra Club Books featuring titles including Ecoliteracy, Educating Our Children for a Sustainable World, To access Bioneers podcasts and information on becoming a member of the Bioneers, visit Bioneers.org or call the same number, 877-246-6337. The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature, is a production of Collective Heritage Institute. Executive producer, Kenny Osebel. Written by Kenny Osebel and Neil Harvey. Managing producer is Stephanie Welch. Production assistants, Ginny McGinn and Marita Prandoni. Distribution is by WFMT Radio Network. Original recordings were provided by Conference Recording Service. Our theme music is taken from the album Journey Between by Baca Beyond and used by permission of Hannibal Records, a Ryko Disc label. Additional music was made available by Rasa Music at www.rasamusic.com. For more music information, please visit Bioneers.org. The opinions expressed in the Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature radio series are those of the presenters and are not necessarily those of Collective Heritage Institute, the Underwriters, or this radio station. My name is Neil Harvey. Thank you for listening. I invite you to join the Bioneers in improving the environment by changing the world. This is program number 0706.
0: program was made possible in part by a grant from Organic Valley Family of Farms, organic and farmer-owned since 1988. Learn more at organicvalley.com.